Welcome to Kesed, where we got the base. Um, I just, my name's Danny, I'm one of the pastors. I do want to let you know that uh, Thursday night, same response. 11 o'clock, same response. 9 o'clock, different response. <laughs> Silence at 9 o'clock as I walked on stage. And then I was like, hey, listen, the other services liked it, so step it up. And they laughed, and then I just moved on. But uh, we're in a series right now called Jesus Don't Care. Uh, I have received a, a, a few uh, confused uh, responses to it. Listen, I'm not here to tell you that Jesus doesn't care about you or care about the things that are important in life, but there are some things that Jesus doesn't care about, and that's what this series is about, and that in, ends up sort of leading us into this thought pattern around uh, the things in our own life that we're investing time in that maybe we shouldn't care about, that maybe we shouldn't spend time around, and so that's sort of the idea behind the series, and it launches today. Um, I'll be here for the next few weeks, so uh, if you'd like to settle in as you get into your... Uh, new school rhythm. I'll be here as well, and uh, my hope is that, uh, that, you, uh, that you can enjoy it and that you hopefully end up really feeling more connected uh, to Christ, to the, what he has for your story, especially we have a lot of spiritually curious people right now, a lot of visitors who are like, I don't know about this uh, whole God thing, but I know there's something else, and I'm like, perfect, welcome. Uh, this series is for you, as well as those of, for you, for those of you who have been walking with Christ a long time, because uh, if we're authentic as Christians for a long time, things can just get really rote. We can just sort of get into a, a rhythm of like, yeah, this is what I do, and this is how it impacts me, and yeah, this is what I don't do, because this is how it impacts me. And sometimes, sometimes it's important to just put all that down, take a step back, and ask for a spiritual refresh. And so my hope is that this series does this. We'll be in it for probably two months, probably eight weeks, and then we'll move from there into our holiday series that uh, I think will be really fun. We're already prepping for it. I don't know if you guys noticed, but uh, we just added all new lanterns throughout the, uh, throughout the church, and uh, they're going to be really fun. We're going to decorate them with Christmas and do some garland stuff, and uh, we're going we're gonna to be the church in town that, that, that you want to go to if you're Christmas. If you're all about Christmas, which you should be because Jesus is sort of a big deal around Christmas, but... Uh, <laughs> but uh, we're, we're going to be, we're going to have a lot of fun with that. So uh, yeah, so, so uh, I'm excited. A couple of housekeeping things real quick. Uh, you saw in the announcements a men's tour. Uh, whether you know it or not, uh, men's ministry in the Northwest specifically is notoriously difficult to get up and off the ground and then maintain even if you have a strong one, and that is no different here at Kesed. So we have decided that instead of trying to kind of get clever and figure this thing out, it would be better to provide some different spaces at some different times for all the guys in the church to come and hang out and really give feedback on what would be a good men's ministry. So this is not a launch. This is more of an invitation to come and be part of a discussion or maybe just come sit in the room, meet some other guys and listen to what uh, men in the church are wanting and needing. Some of this actually came out of our Where the Girls Are series with a lot of men saying, you know, I, I'm feeling like I should step it up. I'm feeling like I should engage a little bit different in how I participate in my faith community. What do you guys have available? And we were like, not much. So uh, it's important for us as we continue to develop as a church to add these things, but not just add them to check a box. We want to add them so that they're strong. So we've got some leaders that have stepped up. We've got some, a, a pretty good idea around sort of how these tours will go. But what we need are men in the church to actually come and participate and be a part and, and, and share what you're feeling and what you're dealing with. So uh, you can get more information on, I believe, the, uh, the app and the website and also back at the Welcome Center. So check that out. And then lastly is Rooted. Um, I did not get an update. Last I heard, there were only 15 spots left. 
So I don't know if that is full or not. Does anybody know in here? No? Yeah, sure. Why not? 15 spots still available. So sign up, and uh, we'll figure out where to put you. But it, it would be really fun uh, if you haven't done it. It's a great discipleship course. It's 10 weeks. Uh, we'll do it again if this time doesn't work for you. We do it usually two or three times a year. It's a great way to meet people and also to just kind of dig in and know a little bit more about uh, who and uh, this God that we serve and, and what and who he's about. So, amen? Good? Okay, uh, let me, let me uh, give you sort of a tagline for this series that I thought was, was nice and kind of, kind of encapsulates what we're going to do. Uh, it's a series about removing the excuses that keep us from being known and knowing. It's a fancy way of saying it's a series about uh, pushing us into community, even if that community is uncomfortable. And Jesus was doing this all throughout his time here on this planet. He was constantly pushing people into community, but not necessarily community with each other. Most of the time, he was actually pushing them into community with himself. And as you know, if, if two people are aiming at the same thing, they naturally get closer to each other as they get closer to the object they're aiming at. Jesus is that object. When you push yourself into community with Christ, or you sometimes allow him to push you, you naturally get closer to everybody who's pushing themselves as well into community with Christ. Now, this happens in the world outside of Christ as well, but the thing people are usually pushing themselves into around is usually something fairly unhealthy for them. It's usually pushing themselves into uh, maybe a lack of loneliness or a numbing of the pain and struggle they've gone through or a passion for something they think will bring value to them even though it's only temporary. And these people do find connection with each other, but the thing that they find connection around is temporary and fades. And Jesus is exchanging that constantly with people. He's exchanging the thing they are driving their life toward for himself, and it makes everybody around him uncomfortable. He did it a lot of times through miracles. Jesus performed uh, over 40 miracles in the Bible, from raising the dead to changing the weather to uh, healing the sick, all these things that brought attention to him and then through the conduit of his presence to God, which then, of course, drew people to God, which naturally drew people to each other. Now, this series comes out of a phrase, as I already said, around this idea of Jesus don't you care about. The first time we read the series was a few weeks ago when we talked about Mary and Martha. And you have Mary and Martha hosting Jesus, and all of a sudden Mary's just overwhelmed with wanting to be in his presence, and so she joins the disciples at the feet of Jesus as a disciple, which was totally culturally a no-no. Jesus teaches her. He engages with her. She asks questions like one of the disciples. They're having this relationship, and Martha's not having it. And Martha wants her back in her cultural place. So she says to Jesus, Jesus, don't you care? And Jesus smiles. And then basically says, no, not really. <laughs> he cares about her. He cares about her story. He even cares about her concern. He says her name twice. He's like, Martha, Martha. This is really this idea that he, he hurts with her. But what he cares about is that we're doing and choosing the right thing, which is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And so in the midst of that story, I made the comment, wouldn't it be fun to do a whole series around all the things Jesus doesn't care about? Well, the second most obvious time that someone asked Jesus, if, they, if he doesn't care, is the story of when Jesus calmed the stormy sea of Galilee. The miracle happens in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We're going to be in Mark if you want to uh, turn, to your, turn in your Bibles to there. Mark chapter 4, I'll have the verses on the screen. The previous few days started positively. Jesus is doing his miracles. He's teaching. 
He's educating people. He's, he's dismantling a lot of the religious system that was harming people at the time. He's breaking down theology that had become overgrown. He's breaking down power that had become entrenched. And he's just offending all kinds of people, primarily not just by doing these things, but by who he's talking to and who he's encouraging, which are the least of these, which are the less than, which are the spiritually curious, and which are the people who aren't part of the system but want to know why they have this yearning deep inside and this, I, this, uh, this hunger for something more. And Jesus is meeting that need, and he's quenching that thirst, and he's, he's, he's meeting that hunger. And over and over and over, these people are sharing with hungry friends and thirsty friends, and, and it's growing and it's growing, and the church feels like it's losing control, and so suddenly the leaders in the church rise up and they say, you're doing all this, and it is powerful, but it's not godly power. They are overwhelmed, and they are afraid, and so they blame it on the devil, which is what we as Christians always do when we can't explain why something goes bad in our lives. We're like, it's the enemy. It's always the enemy's fault. It's never us. It's never our lack of control or our lack of insight or our lack of humility it's never our desire to be different than we are. It's always the enemy whenever we lose control. And I'm not saying sometimes it's not. I'm just saying most of the times it's not. And it's not, it's not some great spiritual insight. It just doesn't have to be because I do it to myself all the time. If I punch myself in the, the face 80% of the time and then blame it on somebody else after a while, you know, that stuff's going to hurt and bleed. And people are going to see it. And we're going to find ourselves in a space as a church where people start calling out the wounds that we've caused to other people, and we can't keep blaming it on the enemy when it's us taking the swing at our own body. This is what's happening to Jesus. But he's Jesus. So he's like, yeah, I can see you're overwhelmed and afraid. I can see you're grasping. I can see you're panicked. But I'm going to keep doing my thing. And so he keeps teaching. He starts using this phrase kingdom. He starts teaching about the kingdom. He's like, I'm going to change the way you live. I'm going to change the way you think. And so he teaches all these parables. He teaches the parable of the sower where he says there's consequences. You make decisions, stop blaming it on the enemy, and hey, stop blaming it on me. Jesus is like, I realize I am God here with you, but you can't blame all your problems on me. You sow and you reap. So some of us in this room, you're just out there reaping from choices you made a long time ago. And some of us in this room, you're reaping from choices that happened to you. They're not the same thing. They're both painful but they both live within this kingdom. He ends up teaching about the, the parable of the lamp hidden under a basket. Some of you, you're Christians, but nobody knows it. You got a big old basket. You keep it hidden everywhere but here, and then here you shine in front of everybody. You got your hands in the air. I can hear you singing from the back. But you go to work. You never talk about that. You never shine at all. You never participate in stuff you shouldn't. You know it. God knows it. And he's like, hey, you with the basket. Uh, stop. It was deep and rich right there. That was, somebody should write that down. <laughs> hey, you with the basket. Hey, stop. They teach about the parable of the seed growing and how not everybody's faith is going to operate the same way because we don't take care of it the same way. Some of it falls on rocks that we don't care and birds come. Some of it falls here. Some of it falls there. Not everybody's faith, not everybody's uh, development is as serious as it is for other people. And that's not necessarily the world's fault. Sometimes it's just ourselves and where we decide to actually plan ourselves. And so it's hard to be in a community. It's hard to, to learn about God. And so you continue to get caught up in that other thing that draws you towards those other people that immediately and always falls apart right when you need it the most. This is why we have a recovery ministry. Because a lot of people have invested their lives in something that 
didn't follow through and meet the promise that it thought it would. And so they found themselves committed to something or addicted to something. And that's not just drugs. That's not just alcohol. That could be codependency. Whatever it is, that's a, that's a Monday night service that we have here. But if that's you, you should check that out. You should participate in stuff like that and stop blaming it on the enemy when you're like, I just don't feel connected and I keep failing. Well, yeah. He also blames it, uh, or he also talks about the parable of the mustard seed and how some of us have little faith and we feel like it's not enough. And he's like, yeah, but through me, that little faith can move mountains and do great things. He's teaching all these principles and all this kingdom work, and the whole time, the church people are getting frustrated. The Pharisees are getting angsty, and they keep calling him out, and he keeps shutting them down, and they keep calling him out, and he keeps shutting them down. Jesus, frankly, and I'll put it on the screen, when you watch all this and look at all this, Jesus was legit. It's deep and rich right there, people. This is this is high-level theology that you're learning here. What did you learn at church today? I learned Jesus was legit is what I learned. I learned you can't shut down Jesus. He don't care. He just keeps pushing his kingdom because he pushes the kingdom, which pushes himself, which pushes us closer to him, which pushes us, pushes us closer to each other, which makes our lives live in harmony with creation and how it's made to be. Instead of harmony, instead of symphony, some of you live in cacophony. You should look it up sometime. The best description of a cacophony, it's the opposite of a symphony, is if you took a giant uh, a shelf of dishes and you just pitched it over and let them all fall at whatever frequency and tempo they wanted. Your life feels like that. Because you live your life opposing creation and harmony and alone. And every time you choose something else and it fades, you find yourselves at odds with all these people who also base their life on this thing other than Jesus. And then you've got to start again. You've got to go find that next thing. This is what Jesus and his legit teaching came to undo. The crowd and the disciples loved this. This is what they were waiting for. So they listened and learned about how God is building his kingdom. But eventually, Jesus, who is God and human, gets exhausted by the end of the day. It's now late in the evening, and he eventually gave orders to his disciples to get into a boat and go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And I think it's really interesting that it never clarifies that it was Jesus' boat. It just says a boat, because apparently when you own everything, you also own all the boats. It's a lot like the donkey story, the Passover one. He's like, go tell so-and-so I'm taking their donkey, and the guy's like, yeah, okay. I think there was a boat guy, too. I wonder if they ever met, and they're like, did you ever get your boat back? I never got the donkey back, either. I, <laughs> I don't know. I just, I'm just so frustrated with the whole experience. I just, I mean, I am in the Bible, but, you know, I don't like being the donkey guy. <laughs> Or the boat guy, but, but either guy. Jesus just takes your stuff sometimes, and it's good, and it should be. Mark 4, 35 and 36, on that day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they, they took him with them in the boat just as he was, and other boats were with them. I just want to highlight one small thing before I dive into this. It says in this phrase right there that when Jesus was ready to go to the other side, remember this, he told them we're going to the other side, not let's try. He said, we're going to go to the other side. This is because the disciples already knew that Jesus was ministering to everywhere around the Sea of Galilee. They weren't confused. They weren't surprised. They just didn't know it was then. Jesus says, get in the boat. We're going. And then I love that it says this, that he went just as he was. Which meant, if you've ever spent any time with a big crowd of people, he went shaking 50 or 100 or 150 hands. He went 
holding people that probably didn't smell good. He went at the end of a hard day's work, and he just went fairly scrappy, fairly used up, just as he was in the boat with the disciples to cross on to the next portion of the work. Now, I'm just going to put this out there for whoever's in the room, but some of you get frustrated when Jesus gets into your boat and smells a little like, like he shouldn't. He smells a little too scrappy. He's, he's a little too worn out. I mean, my Jesus has a white robe. He smells, you know, like, like fresh flowers, like his hair's all done up. Jesus has amazing products, so his hair's all done up, right? And he's in the boat, and he's like, Danny, let's sail. And I'm like, yes, beautiful Jesus, let's do it. And some of you, Jesus walks up, and he's like, hey, let's get over to the other side of the lake. And you're like, oh, whoa, shoot. <laughs> shouldn't you bathe just for a second? Like, I got friends with me on the other side of the lake. They know we're coming. I told them I'm bringing the Messiah, and you, you got a stank. Like, it's not good what's happening here. And Jesus is like, no, I'm going just as I am. And I'm just here to say, some of you need to drop the whole idea that Jesus doesn't want to spend time with you just as he is because you don't control, frankly, much. And when Jesus wants to spend time with you in the boat that is your life or my life, he gets to show up however he wants. And it could be through the homeless person on the street. It could be through that boss at work that you can't stand. It could be through a message like this or a podcast or a verse or a song, Christian or not. It could be through a sunset. I have no idea. But when Jesus shows up, I hope you receive him just as he is. And I hope you listen. You got to tear apart that religion. You got to exchange it for the relationship. And he knows you, by the way. He knows how he wants to show up that he'll meet you. So just be prepared and keep your eyes open. Now, I want to set the stage. They push off in the boat. They're moving out into the sea. The Sea of Galilee is about 13 miles long. It's about eight miles wide. The trip would normally have taken less than two hours to cross the water. And from where they were going, the sun would have been setting behind the men as they sailed across the lake. That meant the beginning of the voyage would have been beautiful as they looked back on the work they had just done. Super cool picture. You're pushing off from the shore, huge crowd, successful ministry. I'm talking people healed. I'm talking freedom. I'm talking finally got to stuff it to the church people, the religious people in the back row who are sitting up on the mountain angry. Like sun in the back, Jesus in your boat. You're with your best friends. This is like legit beyond legit. And you're sitting there and you're looking at each other and you're like, yeah, we are the cool kids now. What kind of conversations do you have with Jesus in the boat that day, thinking about the ministry and the beautiful sunset as you look? What kind, of, what kind of vibes in the boat as you're like, this was amazing. Did you see when he did that thing? Did you see when that hand unshriveled? Did you see when that leg, did you see when this happened? Oh, man, what was your favorite part? What was your favorite part? Quick, let's play. High, low, right? I mean, all the things that are happening in the boat. Who knows? But they're pushing out from the boat, and they, I think they get so caught up in the things of the day, they miss that Jesus crawled up in the bow of the boat underneath the covering and just went to sleep. Let me just say that it's important for us to pause and enjoy the things God has done in our life. We don't do it enough. We get in the boat with Jesus and we press on. We look at the next shoreline and we think, all right, on to the next thing. We don't stop and enjoy our families. We don't stop and enjoy our communities. We don't stop and be thankful for the meal before us or the clothes on our backs. Too many times we're looking at the next shoreline and the next job and not talking about all the stuff Jesus does and did and is doing in our lives and has done. It's really important. We need to be able to do that regularly. Now, somewhere along the journey, Jesus falls asleep, as I said, and it's here while God is sleeping that a storm overtakes them. 
since many of the disciples were fishermen, four of them professional, when the storm started, they probably kept calm, knowing what you do during a storm. All these people were raised on shorelines. All these people were raised around boats, but four of them were actually professional fishermen slash sailors. And when the storm rose, I think those would have been the men that sort of rose up and said, hey, don't worry about it. Let him sleep. I got this. This is my wheelhouse. This is what I do. When we face storms, oftentimes the storms that are most impacting in our lives are the ones that hit us in our wheelhouse because when we finally like use up all of our own energy and use up all of our own decision making and use up like when a storm hits me in an area I'm not good at I ask for help like that I'm like little breeze and I'm like oh this is crazy anybody know what to do like who doesn't do that like I don't sail so I would have been in the boat, soon as I saw the first wave and storm cloud, I'd have been like, hey, 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 you guys seeing this? What's our plan here? Right? But if you're a fisherman, you wouldn't probably say a word. You'd maybe make some eye contact with the other sailors, like, this will be fun. You'd look at the, the boys in the boat that didn't know what they're doing, and they're like, but they're going to get scared. Right? You'd, you'd do whatever preparations you do with sailors, because storms are your thing. But when storms in your own wheelhouse start to go sideways, that's when panic sets in. That's what the Pharisees experience. Their religion, their structure, their spiritual. Jesus rolls in and he's like, nah, you're not. And they're like, what? This is our wheelhouse. This is where we get control. This is our power. This is where we show off. This is where we sail the big waves and everybody watches and says, thank you for, for saving us. But in this boat, in this situation, the waves got bigger and bigger and bigger and eventually even the sailors in the boat were like we're not going to make this without some help it was only when things started feeling out of control and they started to believe that they might not survive this experience that panic set in mark 4 37 and 38 and a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking it describes them into the boat so that the boat was already filling but jesus was in the stern asleep on the cushion and then it says this phrase, and they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? My first question as I read this is, who got voted to wake up Jesus? <laughs> like, is that, is that with a broom? Like, how do you wake up God? Is that like, are, like, ooh, like, ooh. <laughs> nobody's like, I'll do it. I mean, that's a, that's a like, I don't know, I don't know who did it, but somebody woke up Jesus and I don't know what that looks like, but those are the sort of things you should, you should ponder. It says that Jesus awoke and he wasn't happy. Mark 4, 39 and 40, and he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. Just leave it right there. And there was great calm. Please remember this. Jesus didn't wake up beautiful. Jesus didn't wake up with a smile on his face. Jesus woke up with his hair on a mess after working two shifts in a row. And the kids ran in and said, will you make us cinnamon sugar toast? That's about what this storm was to Jesus. Like, are you serious? I've worked two doubles, and the kids are just on the bed like, I need it now. And he wakes up, and he silences the storm. I think it would probably be his most um, um, inelegant miracle. I like to think the other ones Jesus was, because I, I think there's a lot of um, beauty in the way Jesus does miracles. They're very calm. They're very straightforward, but I think there's a lot of elegance like there is in our creation that God does. This one, I feel like Jesus just like stumbled over the side of the boat and was like, stop it! <laughs> I, this is what I feel like. And then I feel like Mark was like, 
And then Jesus said, storm, be calm. Because the rest of us would have not been able to, we would have been like, ooh. Because I don't know if Jesus, I mean, he's God and all, but there's some human in there. And I feel like if you woke up dad and just were like, hey, there's a duck in the yard. Dad wouldn't be like, what? I mean, he would, he would, there would be angst and frustration. So I don't know if this is a mistranslation, but it could be. I think that there was an inelegant sort of storm be calm. And then he said to them, why are you so afraid have you still no faith? But I like to imagine between the miracle and this phrase, there was like 15 seconds of silence where the kids just sat there dripping wet from the storm. Like kids getting caught in the kitchen with flour everywhere. They were like, I just, that's what I imagined. That Jesus is like, be still, storm. And then he's just frustrated and all 12 men are just like, oh, no, 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 no. No, no, no. And maybe there's one disciple who was like, I told him not to wake him up. I told him that it'd be me because I don't sail, right? So I'd be like, I told him it'd be fine. These storms weren't that big a deal, right? And they're just soaking wet. And Jesus is like, why? Why? There's probably three whys. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Basically, look back at the sunset. Look back at what we just did. Why did you not bring that into the boat today? It's a beautiful passage. Really, really special passage. So let's unpack a little bit of what's happening here in the boat. Is Jesus telling them they need to wait even longer? Is he frustrated that the boat wasn't sinking and that they weren't all the way in the water? Do they need to wait to wake Jesus until they are fully underwater and flailing around in the sea to answer those questions? I don't think so. I don't think that's at all what Jesus is telling them. Rather, it seems more, it's not that they woke him, it's what they woke him asking. Another version reads in the same passage, Teacher, don't you care for us? This is how they woke him up. They didn't ask for his help. They didn't point to the waves and say they're bigger than us. They didn't even say we're afraid. They just said, Jesus, why aren't you caring for us? They said, hey, where are you? We are about to die. Do you see these waves and hear this wind? The disciples come to Jesus with this assumption that because they're facing a challenge, a threatening one, in their wheelhouse because they are overwhelmed and afraid that it means Jesus doesn't care about them. And it's simply not true. Despite Jesus telling them before they left that they would reach the other side, by the time the storm hit, they forgot his words and, over, and are overwhelmed in fear. By the way, for what it's worth, worth uh, we could do a whole sermon on uh, all the different verses where Jesus tells you who believe in Jesus, you're going to reach the other side. Just, just put it out there. He's already made it clear. He overcomes any broken system, any kind of tearing, any world collapse. He overcomes. We're reaching the other side. That's what this entire book's about. We're reaching the other side. We might be in a boat and the waves might be big. And most likely, the place that stresses you most is your wheelhouse. If you're business, you're probably stressed about business. If you're spiritual, you're probably stressed about, oh, the, the spirit of the, you know, the emotional health of the world. Whatever your wheelhouse is, most likely, that's where you're most afraid. Because that's where you lack the ability to say, I got this anymore. The rest of it, you don't know. You're going to trust other people or you're going to ask for help. But the stuff you're good at, the storm you're good at, that's the space you have to remember that Jesus said, we're making it to the other side, even if you are overwhelmed, even if you're afraid. This fear leads these people to assume that because they are facing a threat beyond their own power and control, that Jesus doesn't love them, and they call him out on it. 
The question they're asking, I'll put it up, is not whether Jesus can save them. It's whether he cares enough to consider it. Basically, they're saying to Jesus, you're a failure. You promised that you'd love us, and now bad things are happening, and this doesn't feel very loving to me. And Jesus rebukes the thing that's happening and then turns it to them and says, really? Really? Did I tell you that bad things weren't going to happen to you? Did I tell you that no storms would ever arise within your life? I've been in this spot so many stinking times, I'm embarrassed to admit how often. Usually for me, it's within the church world. That's the world I live in. And suddenly things turn a little bit, and I'm like, I'll be fine. Everyone's going to be so impressed with how I handle this situation. And then the waves start entering the boat, and I'm like, it's done. (laughs) It's sinking. And they're like, yeah, but don't you care about this? I'm like, I don't know anything about that. I can't fix that. This, though, I generally can sail okay. But that wave and that wave and this water, too much. It's just too much. I forget about the sunsets. I forget about the... The, the, the pleasantries, I forget about the beauty, the miracles, the provision, and all I see are the waves around me. And next thing you know, I'm screaming to God, don't you even care about me? This, I think, is what the passage is about. It has little to do with the storm raging around them or us, and instead speaks directly to the one spinning within their hearts. The internal storm asking, does God really care about me and what it is I'm going through? The Bible knows we're going to ask these questions because it knows we're going to face these storms. Isaiah 42.2 says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flames shall not consume you. It's just a beautiful passage all around another story that fits so wonderfully in this one and in our own. But what I really love is Psalm 34.17 and 18 because I think it fits really well with proper posture when going through a storm. It says, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. That's the one people always highlight. God promises he'll deliver us out of all our troubles. And he does. It's right there. You got me. But then it also said, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. But notice it doesn't say he'll save you from being crushed. Notice it doesn't say that you won't experience brokenhearted. It says he is near to the brokenhearted and near to the crushed in spirit. So why are you and I constantly crying out to God every time something breaks our heart or crushes our spirit and then we blame him for his lack of love? And he's like, but what? There's waves everywhere. There's wind everywhere. Are you not paying attention? This is crushing me. This world, I've heard this. I am so oppressed. I can't sleep at night. I have so much anxiety. This is crushing me. And I'm like, yeah. Maybe that's not a bad thing. Maybe when the grapes get crushed and the juices flow, great wine can be made. Maybe you're in exactly the spot you're supposed to be, and the only thing that might help you is a little bit of a shift of blaming God or the enemy or the world and instead crying out to God for help in the midst of your crushing. This, this place that these disciples found themselves, it transformed them, even if just at a little bit. Because in spite of their lack of faith, Jesus stepped up, he calmed the storm, and then he rebuked them. 
And I believe they received it because it says in the very next verse, Matthew 8, 27, and the men marveled saying, what sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? See, this is so powerful. They just came from a shoreline of miracles and yet it's the storm that impresses them because the storm is in their wheelhouse and the storm is what they understand and the storm is what they could gauge because they were, they were people that were raised along the shoreline. It wasn't the church that Jesus dealt with. It wasn't the miracles. They're not, they're not physicians, right, most of them. It wasn't any of those things that really hit them. It was the storm that they understood. So when God is moving in your storm, specific to you, be blessed, for it is in the storm that you will experience and meet his presence. It transformed them, and you can see it in the very next storm. In the very next storm. Let's read it together. Matthew 14, verse 22. I want you to imagine it. Jesus, by the way, whenever you read these passages, you need to make sure you put yourself in the boat. So pull out whoever your favorite disciple is, just throw him overboard, and you replace him. Okay? Man or woman. Now you're in the boat, right? There's 12 of us. Who replaced themselves with Judas? Just to be honest. You're like, ah, I'm definitely Judas. But, but that's all right. So you're in the boat, right? And this is what's happening, okay? Uh, which passage? 14, verse 22. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way off from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. So you're in the boat, and a storm comes up. And by the way, Jesus told you to wait. This is, this is a great obedience passage that we can unpack at a different time. But even when you're obedient, sometimes waves just push you from the shore. Even when you do everything you're supposed to, sometimes stuff just doesn't work out. These are sailors. They are waiting for Jesus in their strong suit. He's like, wait for me there. They're like, we got it, Jesus. You know, if they have sails or oars or whatever it is, we got it. We got a rope tied around the biggest tree we could find. And somehow, someway, these folks, you folks, me folks, find ourselves somewhere we shouldn't be. And we're sitting there just panicked. Like, like how is Jesus going to find us? What are we going to do? And then it says, verse 25, in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Now remember, this is the second storm. This follows the previous storm we just read about. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. They cried out in fear because it's always the enemy, right? It's always something other than Jesus or God. Always. Even when Jesus shows up to meet us in rebuke or discipline, we always blame it on something else, it feels like. Can't be Jesus. I mean, we're disciples of the Messiah. It's probably a ghost. Water walking ghost. I heard about those. There it is. It's crazy. Now we're going to die. We made it through the first storm, and now the water walker found us. I, I hate it. Why did I ever sign up to be this? Verse 26. Uh, okay, verse 27. But immediately after they cried out in fear, Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart. It is I. Don't be afraid. I feel like he was just a tiny bit condescending. Not, not a lot, but maybe a little bit. Like, guys, guys. <laughs> Seriously, it's me. And that's when it happens. All of a sudden, within the boat, there was a conversation. Okay, verse 28 isn't the verse we're going to put up yet. There's a conversation that happens, I believe, with the disciples when they realize it's Jesus. And I think it's Peter who's like, that's, that's Jesus. It is Jesus. Whew. Okay, still stormy, by the way. Enough that it pushed him from the shoreline. And all of a sudden, Peter's like, I'm getting out. And somebody's like, no, you are not getting I'm getting out. 
I'm not getting out. I'm not doing it. Remember what he said last time? We got we to gotta trust him. I am getting out of this boat. Do it. Somebody in the background is like, I dare you to do it. <laughs> There's always that person in the boat. Whoever you are, you know who you are. Do it just to see what Jesus does. <laughs> right? Just like, oh, I hate Peter anyways. Get out of the boat. Watch what happens. Verse 28, and Peter answers him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you in the water. And I think there's a big, long silence, and Jesus is like, okay, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. you got to let yourself imagine he gets out. <laughs> How cool would that be? And then what a kind of smug expression as he's two feet from the boat and he turns around like, hmm, loser. Right? Like, like, I don't know, but I would imagine there was something I would also imagine right? The disciples would have been like, no way, no way, right? And he's walking to Jesus, and he's getting up to Jesus, but all of a sudden, a wave crashes in front of him, and the anxiety comes back. A situation happens, and the anxiety comes back, and he becomes afraid. And when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. This time, he does it just like he should. Lord, save me. Not, Lord, don't you care? Not, Lord, why'd you call me out of the boat? Not, Lord, this is your fault. This is your fault. You said I should be here. Like, none of that. He's just straight, Lord, save me. And boom, Jesus grabs him. And this is my favorite part of the story. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of you little faith, why did you doubt? And bam, he's up on the water. And then it says this, listen. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And, the, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. This is what that means. This means Peter gets out of the boat, gives his smug look, Right? gets to Jesus almost, sees waves, anxiety, whatever it is. He starts to sink. Jesus captures him. Jesus rebukes him, I think a little gentler than last time, because he was closer. Hey, save me, save me. He pulls him up, and this is so profound. And then he walks with him in the storm all the way to the boat. The wind doesn't cease when he grabs the hand. It doesn't become glass. The most profound part is the part of Jesus holding this full-grown man's hand as they walk back in the storm. How amazing. That's the whole thing about like roller coasters, right? It's when you realize you're safe, but you still experience the unsafeness of the environment you're in. Can you imagine holding the hand of God and just looking at waves the side of this building and knowing I'm going to be okay? Can you also imagine a full-grown man holding the hand of Jesus, even Jesus, a hardened fisherman? Like, like, I think there might have been a sec where he was like, I'm good now. Can you just, like, put your miracle bubble over me? Or do we actually have to, like, can you just pull me in? And he's like, mm. So I think they just held hands. How many times in our lives have we asked God for help? He reaches down and grabs us, and we're like, thanks, I'm good. And then we're like, oh, it never sticks. The miracles never stick. This is why I don't follow God. He always drops me where he finds me. And it's like, well, yeah, because you didn't, like, you let go of his hand. Well, you don't hold his hand. I'm a mature Christian, and I'm a sailor. <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't, I don't walk on water that much, but, it, you know, I shouldn't have to hold his hand the whole time. Maybe you do. And maybe once you get back in the boat and the wind ceases, then you can have the ministry you're supposed to have as you talk about what that experience was like. See, this is the whole entire point of the story. Because we need to be people that learn from the passage and then are willing to dive into the the rebuke, even through the rebuke, out into the water and be held by Jesus. Have our hands held by Jesus. This is critical. This is critical to our faith. And it can be small or big, by the way. There's another passage uh, a little while later in the boat, in uh, the Bible, where the disciples get into another boat and they get out into the water and then they, they realize somebody forgot bread. 
I don't know who the bread disciple is, but I felt he felt, I bet he felt really bad. And they're like, where's the bread? I think this is an amazing discussion to imagine. Jesus, the miracle, you've already walked on water, you've already calmed storms, and then somebody's like, I forgot the bread. And the disciples had to have been like, what, what are we going to eat now? <laughs> God's in the boat, and they're like, what do you, mean? you forgot the bread? Like, what are we going to eat? What are we going to do? You're so stupid. I knew you should have never been the bread disciple, right? And back and forth they go until Jesus rebukes them again. Matthew 16, 8, because Jesus was aware of this, he said, oh, you little faith, why are you disgusting among yourselves the fact you have no bread? <laughs> this is a passionate verse. Like big or little, storms or little, Jesus is like, hey, follow me, stick with me, whether you have no bread or you're drowning. I'm with you where you're supposed to be. I want to follow you. I want to engage with you. This is who our God has called us to be. And it's going to require people who are willing to step out. And this is really important, and this is what I want to close with. It's going to require people who've been in storms like this and failed that are willing to tell other people back in the boat what that experience was like. That's the big piece we're missing. It's not just have faith. It's not just pray more. It's not just uh, step out of the boat. It's getting back into the boat, holding the hand of Jesus, telling the other people in your community, okay, here's the thing. I thought I was going to die. I thought I was going to die. And then I, I like failed. And then as Jesus helped me, he rebuked me and I was like ashamed. And then Jesus was like, don't be ashamed, but don't let go of my hand because I'm not going to pick you up again. I'm not going to tell you again. <laughs> and so I held both hands with Jesus. And we walked in that storm, but these waves were huge. I saw amazing things. It's incredible. So here's the message. You can survive as well. Your storm is survivable. And it's going to hit wherever you are most passionate about, wherever you care about the most. But that is who we are and what we're about. And that is what the world needs to hear. Because Jesus doesn't care about the wind and the waves. He cares about you. And he is meeting you there if you will just reach out and not blame him for the trouble, but ask him for the help. That is how we build our own lives through the Holy Spirit's presence, and that is how we build one another. And so that's what I want to do. I just want to give you space right now to reflect on that. Some of you, uh, this is an encouraging message for you, but I have a feeling for some of you, there's a very soft and gentle rebuke in the room. For others, um, you're curious, and this is hitting you in a strange space, I just want you to stay there. You don't, you don't have to dive in further. You don't have to try to logically dismantle it. Just stay in that space of, is there more to my story in my life than what I'm doing right now? Do you need to find somebody to connect with? Pray about that. Do you need to find someone who's been weathering storms? Pray about that. Or, if you're someone who has weathered storms, do you need to share those stories with other people? That's what we need in the men's group, the, the women's group, the the ministries that are started up with Rooted, we need people who, are, who have weathered storms sharing those storm stories with other people to encourage them about what it meant to walk with God through them. And then as we list all these things Jesus doesn't care about, we'll have somebody to talk about those things with and we'll be in community and we'll be known and we'll know one another. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this, uh, this space that we're going to sit in. I ask that we would all imagine ourselves in that boat right now, and even if this spiritual journey is new, we would imagine and consider all the different sunset experiences we've had with this God who made us. We would look upon that shoreline and consider all the ways that he has touched us and provided for us. 
And then from that space, Lord, we would look ahead to the shoreline we're moving towards. I would ask that we would be willing to confess where these waves are big and where these clouds are dark and that we would admit where we are afraid. That we would proclaim, God, it is only you who can save us. Only you who can create in us a life filled with harmony and the music of your presence. We thank you for what it is you're building within our stories, within this room, and within our city. We lift all of it up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Every song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring You're worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you We live for you Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. You're worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you. Holy, there is no one like none beside you opened up my eyes in wonder show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me let's all stand and sing tell him it's worthy Worthy of every song, he's worthy of everything. Sing it out. Oh Lord, worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. 